This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ali Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited about the forthcoming episode as we are going to be talking about measurement of physical activity, differences between evaluation and research, and whether we should focus our research locally or globally, and also whether we should be more positive in our research communication. We will also touch upon the importance of teaching in academia. Our guest has done his PhD at University of Oxford about the validity and reliability of self-reported travel behavior. Currently, he is working as a reader in Physical Activity for Health at the University of Edinburgh. Ladies and gentlemen, I am honored to introduce our guest, Dr. Paul Kelly. Welcome, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me, Oli. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, uh, one one thing you you put in the in the notes before we started that we could discuss about our research communication. That should we be more positive in our research communications? Could you tell more about this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a big interest of mine, Ollie, and, and you know, not just me, but um, colleagues um, from around the world. You know, it's something that we talk about a lot because much of the physical activity research can be characterized by um, talking about the bad things that will happen to you if you aren't sufficiently active. You know, so there's lots of research around, you know, risk of mortality or risk of diabetes or risk of cancer or risk of depression, um, the burden of inactivity. And I don't think we should be We should stop doing that research because it's clearly helped establish the field, um, you know, right from the World Health Organization down to national and local governments. So I think it's important work. But I also, you know, if you look at how um, in general in the in, in the broader society, people promote their, their product, if you will, or their services, you know, they generally sell an idea of look how good your life would be if only you would buy our car, our soft drink, um, our mm. designer jeans or whatever it might be. And, you know, my assumption is that these companies have done quite a lot of research and spent quite a lot of money to figure out the most effective way of getting people to do the behavior they want. So it, it seems to me that there might be a big gap or a big opportunity in physical activity to, to complement the, the focus on burden with research that looks at the, the benefits of being active and i'm not saying there's none of that of course there is but i think the weight and the kind of the the narrative or the discourse in our field often focuses on you know look how bad inactivity is and mm. i wonder if when we do our public communication you know and, and our dissemination that's not meant for other scientists but it's meant meant for the people who we are hopefully supporting to be more active we could have a lot more work that's you know Look at the social benefits of being active. You know, did you know about the mood benefits of being active? Did you know about the, the energy and how you will feel and and all of these you know positives that we know there's um, you know 
better evidence or good evidence for and getting better. So that's kind of the, um, I guess, what we're talking about when we, we say about the positives versus the negatives. And, you know, it's led to a, a kind of research projects around messaging and communication, which has been really interesting and has coincided nicely with the, um, the release of the updated, both the global um, physical activity recommendations and also here in the UK, the chief medical officer recommendations. Um, you know, we're getting some good opportunities to feed into the communication strategies there and, and the messaging and and to try and at least, you know, get this idea of, you know, can we talk about the positives, um, you know, on the table as well, as as well as talk, you know, talking about the increased relative risk of type 2 diabetes if you are under the recommended activity levels. Mm, yeah, I, I fully see your point. Do you think it's it's in a way that researchers, when they, for example, make a grant application, they need to say how much does it cost now and we could have cost savings. And then the researchers kind of get into this mode, even when communicating to normal people, when it should be actually, you should think the whole thing again. How do we market this to people? How do we make them move and kind of forget the way that we we applied for funding? Yeah, I think you might be. I think you might be onto something there, Ollie. You know, we the grant funding bodies. You know, obviously have a really important role in in shaping the field and the sort of research that's done. And if 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 there's a sense that they respond well to talking about the size of the problem, you know, that would always reinforce us to to think that that's you know the way to think and the way to speak and the way to communicate and. You know, and and it, it, I don't know how to change this. Um, I think it's important to talk about it and think about it. But you know, should we do our conferences where you know at least half of the um, sessions need to talk about the benefits as opposed to you know the the harms? Or you know, is it about you know us all um, agreeing that you know we we need to have um, you know strategies and approaches? That help us, like you say, shift that way of thinking when when we stop talking to maybe because maybe policymakers do want to know about the size and the cost of the problem, you know. But mm. but maybe we need to be able to adapt to our audiences so that when we're then talking to um, the public or maybe to patient groups, we you know we 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 go to a different folder in our in our brains and you know and pull out some of the positive research which which might resonate with them a bit more. Mm. And isn't it that it's always just the other side of the coin? If you if you're talking about costs of inactivity, you could, in the same way, just talk about uh, savings of being more active. That it just it's the same thing. It just depends which way you you tell the story. Absolutely, and you know, um, I think there is. Um, you know, there's some really good health economics that does talk about, you know, the value of activity. Um, you know, so uh, some of your listeners might have heard of the health economic assessment tool, or the heat tool, and and mm. and that for walking and cycling. And, and that's designed to, you know, give a value of walking and cycling as opposed to a cost of of not doing it. And and I think that's really helpful as a as a communication and an, and an advocacy tool. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago in the UK, um, uh, an economist called um, Simon French did a really interesting piece in a national newspaper around the, the personal economics of being physically active. Um, you know, and, and, and it's something that, you know, I've only haven't seen in other places, but 
you know, talking about, you know, how much we might benefit as individuals if we are, you know, having fewer sick days, you know, if we are saving money by not driving because we're walking or we're cycling, you know, um, all these sort of things, which which might be really powerful arguments to the individual about, you know, their personal economic benefits of being more active. Mm. So this personal economics, it was not your paper, but maybe you can tell what what you remember. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, not not my paper at all. Um, but uh, it was it was just a kind of and and like I say, it was a um, it was a newspaper article rather than a a, a piece of research. And, and maybe it's a research gap that that could be filled by one of the listeners. But um, it, it it did it asked the question of you know what would be the personal economic impact of being more active, and um, it were you know it was things like savings on um, travel costs, be that um, you know train fares or or driving if you're able to walk or cycle at, at least some of the journey. You know, is a um, a gym subscription is that you know net positive or net negative? You know, um, mm. and also, you know, how much value do we place on, you know, our health and our well-being and our mental health as we as we get older and as we move through the life stages? You know, so if if walking um, gives us opportunities to be more social with family and friends, you know, what value do we put on that? Um, you know, and if um, by being more active, we're able to reduce our chances of of illness and and um, ill health in the future. Is that going to, you know, save us money? Is that going to be something that we would value? Um, and, you know, I, I just think these are really interesting ideas that I haven't, you know, personally seen, um, you know, explored in detail. And, um, you know, I hadn't thought of it as a research gap until you asked the question, but um, it, it does seem like something that would be quite an interesting exploration to make. Mm, yeah, yeah, sounds sounds really interesting and it makes makes sense. And if we move to another team, global or local, uh, what level do you think we should be doing our research? Where should we focus? It kind of depends what you want to achieve, Oli. If, it, if maybe to sound a little bit cynical, if you want to get published in high-ranking journals, go local. Uh, sorry, go global. Um, but if you want to do research that is going to be impactful. Um, you know, in terms of policymakers and practitioners being able to use it, um, then then I think you need to go local because it's that lo- locally contextual information that is most useful to the people who are actually doing health promotion. And, you know, that's not a kind of casual observation from me that, you know, that's kind of well established in in the, you know, the kind of the literature around policy studies and, um, you know, knowledge transfer and implementation. And I think it becomes a Um, a challenge for our field because you know as you work in a university your university will encourage you to publish in high-ranking prestigious journals and that would encourage Mm. you to do you know a global analysis of um, one thing or another Um, but if you go and speak to you know the local physical activity lead maybe for your town or for your city you know they want to know what should they deliver locally You know, it's it's all well and good telling me about you know global statistics. That doesn't tell me what I should do about the problem, um, and and it's a tension in in physical activity research. You know, I'm not sitting here, you know, uh, um, free of hypocrisy. You know, of course, you know, I have um, you know done research at times which is which is at this um, you know global level, 
So it, it, it is a challenge. And, and I think it's something that I, I would like to see more of a conversation about, um, you know, in our field, because at some point we actually need evidence on, on what to do rather than just describing the, 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 the scale or the size of, of the issue. Mm. And, and do you see a difference between global versus local and evaluation versus research? Is the other one more of e- either one? Sorry, Oli, I, I think it's a very difficult question, but I'm not quite sure I've understood it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I meant that is is it uh, if if you're doing locally, is it mm-hmm. then more of evaluation, and if you do globally, is it more research, or is there a difference between these two? I think you're right. I think there is likely to be a um, a relationship in in exactly that direction. But the more locally you're working, the more the more likely it is you're doing evaluation type um, work and. And, and vice versa. I, I, I think that's correct. I don't think it has to be the case, um, mm. but, but I think I think there would be a, a pretty strong correlation as you've described. Mm. And and how do you see, like for example, local research? Is it is it so local that that it's a lot of different between, like let's say, different in Edinburgh versus Glasgow, or is it the same that if you find something in Edinburgh? It probably is similar in Glasgow. How do you see the differences or between different countries? Yeah, I think there has to be some flexibility, um, and I think it depends a little bit on, or probably quite a lot, on on what it is you're looking at. You know, what what factor or what determinant or or what strategy. So, to to, to take your example um, of Edinburgh and um, Glasgow. There'd be there'd be some things which I think would be quite similar because, for example, you know, education policy and schools, and um, yeah, if we take that as an example, you know, there's not gigantic differences, and therefore, you know, what you might choose to do in a Glasgow school might be important learning if it works for an Edinburgh school, um, but there are differences as well between the um, the cities in terms of city layouts and in terms of size and for example um, it just so happens that you know Edinburgh has um, a much more extensive local bus network which means that things that might work to stimulate public transport in Edinburgh may not transfer so well to the Glasgow just because of that contextual difference so um, I, I think I think to answer your question it, it would it would come down to context and come down to the, the specific research question in terms of exactly which which scale is the most appropriate for for the work you're doing mm, yeah yeah i can i can see that and and if we if we move to another team in a moment do you have something to add more to this physical activity and global and local local things <laughs> do i have anything to add i you know i'd be interested to know if people disagree I'd be interested to know if people have found good solutions to this. It, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sitting here, you know, saying I'm right on this issue, but it it, it seems to me to be a tension um, that is relevant to to many of us, and that you know, some dialogue and some conversations about it, I think, would be beneficial. So, um, I guess, what do I have to add? If you know, if you don't agree with me, um, 
get in touch and, and tell me where I've got it wrong. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice to hear uh, comments from our our listeners. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting-edge next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is s-e-n-s.fibian.com. Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. So we discussed global or local. Then, then if we discuss research or teaching and and the importance of teaching in in academia. Yeah, I mean, again, something that that's really important to me, Ollie, is is the value that we place on teaching. And I've seen, you know, many instances where researchers in our field feel that teaching is the you know inferior to research and. That it's important to be, you know, a famous researcher, and if you're a teacher, then this signifies that, uh, you know, you're in a different part of the um, food chain. And and I'd really like to challenge those notions and, and push back against them. Uh, I I was it probably 2018. I did a session at the Early Career um, Network for ISPA for the International Society of Physical Activity and Health, and. And I spoke about exactly this topic because, you know, there was clearly a sense that, um, you know, people who'd been asked to do teaching felt that it was detracting from their research, um, and that you know they didn't necessarily want to feel this way, but but that there was this um, kind of second class, um, you know, kind of view of 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 these things. Um, and you know, what I'm really keen to do is is how is you know start that conversation around empowering people to see that. You know, teaching is complementary research, and and both should go hand in hand and, and be seen on equal footing. Um, I think there's a couple of crucial arguments for that. Um, one is that you know we need to see value in in training the next generation of physical activity um, professionals, researchers, um, advocates, and you know that's done through our you know our undergraduate and our MSc teaching. Um, so. Mm. Not not seeing, I think I think to not see value in those things or to see them as purely you know supplementary activities is going to be um, is going to limit you know the development of our field over the next five, ten, twenty years. Um, I also think that you know we should see teaching as a huge opportunity, you know, because if I do a piece of research, I'm never sure how many people read it and whether it really changes anything. But if I teach a class of undergraduates and let's say this. 20 of them, 
each year who are maybe sports scientists or are maybe medical students or are maybe physical education teachers. And I'm able to fundamentally change the way that they view the importance of physical activity and give them motivation and confidence to try and promote more physical activity. You know, even if it's only half the class, after 10 years, that's now a lot of people out in the real world who are, you know, doing really important work in, in physical activity. And I think we, we, we don't value that impact anywhere near as much as we value a journal article, you know, in a, in a, prestigious, in a prestigious publication. So, you know, I, I think I think talking about these things and seeing the value in teaching is super important. And I remember when I did this session, I kind of I left the the group with a question, which is that, you know, we often talk about trying to influence policymakers and, and change the way they think. But, mm. you know, if if we can't change the way that a first year undergraduate thinks around evidence, or physical activity or health, you know, what makes us think that we can change the mind of a busy, important politician. So, you know, there's really helpful training for us in terms of how do we construct arguments? How do we, you know, be objective? Um, how do we present our side of things? How do we learn to advocate for one or other side? Um, and, and all of this stuff comes through teaching, through dialogue, through discourse. So um, that's kind of, I guess, my um, uh, views on, on why there would be huge benefits to the field if we could place far more um, you know, put put teaching on the same same footing as as we put research. Mm -hmm. I I fully see your point. Um, maybe the problem is related to incentives. Like if you if you apply for a job in academia, basically you are asked about your publications, the quality of your publications, and then the teaching. You need to just tell how many hours or how many years you are have been teaching, which doesn't really tell much about the quality of your teaching so basically i think the incentives are wrong in academia between teaching and and research do, do you see any way how we could improve the situation i, I mean i i think your your comment is is very insightful ollie and and i think in many cases is a big part of the the explanation i, I, I think if we You know, maybe if we take your example, and if you agree, if anyone who's listening agrees with with what we're saying, then let's start by changing the order of questions in a job interview. Let's let's ask about teaching first, and let's not just ask about hours. Let's ask, you know, what what have you learned about teaching? Why do you think you're good at it? You know, do your what do your students value? So, you know, I think there's small things we could do. Um, I mentioned conferences before. I, I'd love to see sessions in our international conferences, you know, titled, you know, what are the most effective teaching practices in physical activity and health? Um, you know, maybe we should do keynotes, which are around, you know, the value of teaching and, um, you know, teaching practices and things. So I'm sure there are things we could do to change the culture if we were motivated. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it, we also need to understand the incentives and, and the things that are out there and And if we ever get into positions to to change those um, incentives to, to to feel that there's a, a rationale to do so, mm. and and I think in the UK there's sometimes the students are evaluating the lecturers. Am I right? Yeah, we we get um, annual annual student feedback and evaluations. That's that's correct. 
Yeah, and that that might maybe not go always the right way about quality of teaching. I think sometimes students are expecting that uh, the lecturer is entertaining them, that it's it's entertaining, it's not boring to be in the lecture, and and probably their evaluation is affected. How easy was it to pass the course? So, how how do you see this uh, student evaluations of of teaching? Yeah, I don't know if, you know, it's the same for your listeners in, in different parts of the world. But yes, in the UK, um, we, have, we have student feedback and, and student satisfaction is um, something that is, you know, drives a lot of policy decisions. And you're absolutely right that um, that can be another incentive to, um, you know, teach in a certain way or to examine in a certain way. Um Personally, you know, I think it's about expectation management. It's about teach, um, you know, treating the the students, uh, you know, in a very fair way, in a very transparent way, and trying to make trying to include them in the educational process rather than, you know, kind of see them as, um, you know, just people who are passing through your university or your your course. Um, I think it's helping them through that dialogue to see the value in what you're trying to achieve um, in terms of learning outcomes, learning objectives, rather than, you know, what was your exam mark at the end? Um, and, you know, but of course, all of that stuff, you know, at the moment, would th- there's a danger that that's up to the individual to decide, you know, how they go about that. And uh, uh, so, like I say, if, if we could have more um, discussion, discourse, dialogue, within our field about, you know, how we want to teach and, and be taught, then, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's fantastic practices and, and um, examples already out there that, that would benefit all of us. Mm. And, and do you see it's, it's a problem that, that kind of market economy that, that the universities, they get more money, more students come in and basically most in some universities, more students come when they can get the degree quite easily. So it, it's kind of different incentives for the university and and education as a larger entity. I mean, like you say, Oli, you know, a mismatch of um, incentives is, you know, always going to kind of create a, create a challenge. Um, the, you know, I'm no expert on kind of the the market forces or the market factors that and how they um you know impact teaching and education and and, and higher education you know so I, I've, I've got to acknowledge that and um i think it's it's about you know understanding the situation and, and doing our best to to work within it you know there are you know kind of financial and incentive and and market factors at play in terms of physical activity levels and you know what we need to learn to do is how can we do the best physical activity promotion and support physical activity in the best ways you know in acknowledgement of those factors um you know rather than sort of saying you know we must change them because i think we think we've got to be realistic about what is in and what isn't in kind of our our control Mm, yeah i i see that and if we if we move to your 
upcoming research projects now it's a little bit uncertain time in the world do you have some research projects coming up or are they are they cancelled due, due to the pandemic um yeah a kind of a kind of a mixture we certainly a lot of our research went online um in in march so many things which were planned for example to be face to face qualitative interviews became online video um interviews and and i think we were very fortunate that we were able to um continue that work and um and actually in some ways we found recruitment a, a little bit easier people seemed you know are slightly more willing to give up their time to do a video interview than you know come and meet face to face so there was that that was quite fortunate um the kind of the two projects that come to mind where we we just got quite fortunate with the timing so we've done an evaluation in edinburgh of the um so we had 20 mile an hour or um 30 kilometer per hour speed limits came in in sort of 2016 over a couple of years and we've been evaluating the impact on driving speed driving behavior um injuries collisions casualties um and ultimately you know whether people feel that it's more walkable or more cyclable um and you know we're very fortunate that we'd finished data collection so actually the last three or four months have been an opportunity to sit down and analyze those data and um write the papers and and um we 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 just kind of got lucky that the it didn't happen halfway through data collection or or something mm. um and then at the other the other end we we're, we're just starting a project on um the provision of e-bikes for people who've been recently diagnosed with um colorectal cancer so um this um is a project where you know there's a sense that if people can do some physical activity immediately before they have surgery and then also in the recovery phase um you know that might be beneficial to to them so mm. um this this project was obviously meant to start in the early summer it got postponed but now as um as an increased focus on trying to you know start up the other aspects of our healthcare systems that kind of you know went very quiet during the emergency response um yeah we we've got this opportunity now to see if um how many people are interested and how do they use the bikes and and ultimately you know do they do they perceive an, a, a beneficial impact on 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 their health mm. and and you mentioned this study about the speed limits do you have already some preliminary results you could share with us yes so um speeds did change speeds went down um over a 12 month period um by about 1.3 miles per hour now that doesn't sound like a a huge reduction because the speed limit had changed by 10 miles per hour but you know the 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 modeling and the um the kind of existing evidence shows that for every um half a mile an hour um reduction in speed um you you know you can get a, a 5% reduction in in mortality so um that that you know is a, is a really important really important finding um mm. and and i think the the reason for this and and, and i believe it's work by um a uh, a uh, researcher called elvik is is it's about the distribution of the speeds so you know someone any a car that used to go at 24 miles per hour going at 22.7 miles per hour you know doesn't um you know doesn't have a huge you know measurable impact but the that change in the distribution also represents a car that was maybe going at 41 miles per hour going to 
34 miles per hour. Um, mm. You have a biggest effect on the, the highest speed. And of course, what, what happens there is, um, you know, fatal accidents become serious, uh, sorry, fatal collisions become serious collisions and serious collisions become minor collisions and minor collisions become near misses. And this is why you see that kind of um, large, <coughs> excuse me, public health effect on what looks like quite a small change in the uh, average speed. Mm. So did I understand correctly that the highest speeds will come down when you limit the speed? That that seems to be what happens. Yes, it's the mm. the kind of the 80th percentile, or you know those those top speeds. You know, it's the right hand uh, or the right right hand side of the distribution curve mm. is where you get the the shift to the left. Um, and and as you say, this um, seems to be what what drives the the reductions in in casualties and fatalities. Hmm. That's that's an interesting finding, and I think important also in in that way. Do you have any any other preliminary results that you would like to share? I don't think I can tell you anything else because I don't know the analysis well enough. I know that um, there. So so I'm leading the paper on speeds. Um, hmm. There there's a paper on collisions and casualties that um, is, is the analysis is almost complete, but I, I don't know their findings yet. There's, mm. a, there's a paper on livability. So, you know, what, 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 to what extent has the area become more walkable, more cyclable, more, more livable. Um, and there's also um, perceptions work on the, um, you know, residents, do they feel more safe? They feel more likely to walk or cycle. Um, and, As I say, um, very soon the results will be available from those. But um, unfortunately, I can't share uh, any findings yet with your listeners. I haven't read haven't read the papers. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem at all. So, so you are doing interesting project. Is there some kind of collaboration you could you would like to have that could maybe take your your work to the next level? Uh, oh, you mean kind of wider collaboration with with researchers in the field? Yeah, yeah, there might be some listeners who could be interested in collaborating. So, what could you be looking for, if if any? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I suppose you know anything around evaluation methods and approaches is is always a conversation that I'm that I'm keen to have. I suppose, as I said earlier, anything around um, you know the, the teaching. And teaching and learning in physical activity, and yeah, if if people you know are interested in this idea of you know the, the positive side, the positive aspects and angles, um, again, that that's something that um, you know would really always enjoy those those conversations. Uh, if if you're interested in e-bikes, it'd be great to to, to get in touch. Um, I, 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 yeah, I probably don't want to give too long of a list, but um, you know, I think mm. hopefully hopefully that's you know, some ideas for people to think about. Mm, yeah, I, I think it gave. So it's it's been really interesting discussions. Is there something you would like to bring up still into the discussion or what are your final remarks for this this episode? No, I think we covered some, yeah, some, some topics which I find really interesting. Thank you for, um, you know, inviting me to come on and, and, and have these discussions and If any listeners have made it this far, thanks for thanks for listening. And and like I say, I'm always keen to to chat on you know social media or email. Um, I I you know people think they um, 
can see holes in in my arguments or better ways of putting it, then yeah, I'd really really like to have those conversations. Mm, great, it it was it was great to have you in the show. So thank you, Paul. Thanks, Ollie. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Through Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.